We're going to talk about the power of life and death. And obviously, if you know that scripture, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And talking about what we say, how we say it, why we say it, and the thoughtlessness often with which we don't guard our mouths. The way that we can actually affect positively or negatively life around us. And really be challenged, me included, in that to have my heart transformed because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's stuff coming out that I'm not crazy about. It's typically not an issue of here or here is an issue of here. How do we get this transformed? But I want you to think back through your life. And just as you kind of hit on a, a 30 second high point of the darkness and the lightness of your life. Think back through the times that you have that you feel dark, that it feels light, that it feels joyful, that it feels anxious. And when we look back and think about it, I'd say probably for me, 98% of the time, maybe the similar for you, 2% of the time it's my mom dies or my father has an accident or whatever. But the majority of the darkness isn't from people hitting us, harming us, or hurting us. It's from things that people said to us. And the majority of the light times aren't people giving us money. Or, hey, here's a present that you've always wanted. Sure, maybe 2 3 4% of that. But 96% plus for me is when people through their speech said something that transformed me. And literally when I look at the scope, the trajectory of my own history and fulfillment and, and understanding of <clears throat> what brings me hope and life and light, the vast majority of it is because of what somebody else said. And the vast majority of the darkness is because of what somebody else said. And when you think about it in those terms, it's incredible to think about the impact that the words we say have on those around us. This comes from Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're going to deconstruct this a little bit, but this is kind of with regards to five areas that I see that we engage in on a daily basis. One, parenting. Let's just let that sit for a second. For everybody who is a parent or who has a parent, the reality of those words that I say are transformative. Literally catalytic in either springboarding my child towards purpose, fulfillment, hope, godliness, or deconstructing them. Second, partner. And I say partner, be it marriage, be it spouse, whatever it is, long-term boyfriend, the words that we say. We just watched a movie the other day, Star is Born, and they had a fight between them. And you sit there and you see how destructive, thoughtless words are and how we twist and manipulate and knife in simple phrases mm -hmm. that destroy that relationship. You're going to look at the power of these and the power of simple phrases. The second thing is our peer groups. And we can talk about this as well, be it at work, be it our friends. We're going to talk about angry words, but we're also going to talk about gossip and slander and the thoughtlessness with which we deconstruct our peer group relationships or improve, catalytically come in and transform it. Fourth is politics. We already kind of talked about that. And then fifth, and it's not a P, but it's sports, right? So parental sports, not like two weeks ago, they had parents like get into a fight at a, you know, kids, eight-year-old football game or whatever. And you're like, I mean... Or, you know, watching your team play 
and, and losing it. So, thoughtless, careless words. If anybody hasn't been offended yet, I mean, that pretty much covers the scope, right? So, we're, all, we, we're getting into it. What's interesting is 90% of what, nine, that's, that's an arbitrary number, the majority of what we focus on changing the world around us are laws or politics or people we put into position. When in, in fact, your ability to change the world is directly tied to your next statement. What you say, how you say it will ultimately define the outcome of your world far more than any legislation passed far more than any politician ever. And, and this is the reality of getting back to the politics versus godliness. Jesus is sovereign. He is king. So does that mean we need to try and go establish through the Republican arm and the Democratic or the Libertarian? You know what? At the end of the day, kingdoms rise and they will fall. But God's word endures forever. God's word is you today at this moment having your heart transformed and connecting to the next person in front of you with grace and truth in a way that's thoughtful and considerate because we think that the, the dynamism of God, just like the, pa- the pastor was speaking up there, that it's being transformed through great and mighty things. It's not. It's transformed through the next moment when your kid asks you for the 12th time for something that you've already told him no 11 times for, and how do I respond? Nobody else has that issue but me. So we're going to talk about this, the power of life and death. We're made in God's image. He spoke the world into existence. And so I really want to be clear. We can't create with our words, but we can build, we can add life, we can enhance all the, all the hours of our days are written in God's book. We can't destroy. We can't kill. Physically, we can, but ultimately, everything is in God's hand. But we can cut down. So as we, we accelerate what God kind of does. And it's a little bit different when somebody says, I speak into existence evil. It's kind of like when I, when I went overseas and we were in, in North Africa working with Muslims. They have this thing called the evil eye. And the evil eye was if you look at somebody and you have uh, literally like an evil eye, you're putting a curse on them. Or even if you say, I, I didn't know this when I went, so one of my friends, uh, Muhammad, was there, and I was like, hey, man, that's a great shirt. He's like, here, you take it. I'm like, no, I don't want your shirt, man. It's just, you know. But there is a place of where, by me speaking jealousy, he had to actually give me something so it would break that curse of jealousy because you actually manifest physically this enmity. And, this, and, it, and anytime you say, you have beautiful kids, mashallah. And the reason you have to say mashallah is because that breaks the curse of speaking jealousy and envy and strife over your kids. So I, I, I want to say that that's not where we are, that literally I say, you know, I speak death and suddenly this, you know, curse is going to come over you. However, there is a place of where what we speak does come into being. We're going to kind of talk through this a little bit. It gets back also into our Christian culture, which is in the name it, claim it type thing, right? Speak prosperity into existence and you'll find it and that's definitely not the nature of god that i see and one of the reasons is is because that focuses on things and ultimately always the way that you can deconstruct the litmus test of whether god's in it or not is if people are the ends as opposed to things are the ends because he gave up everything for people and what defines why he acts in the earth the way that he does is to transform people and their hearts to him as opposed to give you more stuff, more things. Anytime you're talking about more stuff, more things, more things that rust and moths destroy, that's going to be missing it. Here's why this is tough. It goes beyond just your mindset. When it comes to you having a good frame of mind, like me, I get like positive, especially on days like this. 
I mean, it's like nice and sunny outside. I'm like zippity doo dog, got the bird on my shoulder. <laughs> it's easy for me to like love on people. The calling of Jesus is even when you're broken in your darkness, allow the grace of God and his kindness to flow through you. Even when you as a parent are distraught or disturbed, that doesn't give you grace to destroy with your words. We're called to this wholeness regardless of our state. You guys with me on that? And that's why out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks because our circumstances, that's why that joy within us is defined by what's going on inside, not the circumstances around us. And for, for, for that, we speak into this. This is where it gets tough, man. I'll tell you this. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. I wish this wasn't in Scripture. <laughs> True story. After I finish reading, tell me if you agree. This is Jesus speaking, which makes it even better. I tell you, on the day of judgment, everyone will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. That sucks. I'm just being real, right? Now we can talk about Jesus, the redemption, him covering us, all the above. But there is a immense gravity behind what we say. And for me to kind of bypass it and, hey, Jesus, I'm missing the, the depth with which Jesus placed importance on the words that we speak. And there's a distinction as well between we think of words as hateful or mean or vengeful. We don't easily think of words as careless. Because, oh, that's a mean person. Yeah, but our careless words are going to be what define our legacy. They're not thoughtful, constructed, appointed words. The ones that we just kind of throw away and toss around. Sure, it's not evil, it's not mean, but it's a little wink-wink word. Proverbs twelve eighteen, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 26, 18 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands and arrows is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Oh, I was only joking. I mean, that hits close to home for me. But here's the thing. It's the carelessness with which we apportion our words that will be our undoing. Because most of us aren't malevolent. Most of us don't walk around embittered trying to destroy people by the way that we speak. Most of us, because of our unwillingness to discipline our tongue and guard our heart, enact destruction on people around us because we're careless. So we're going to talk, we're going to break that down in just a second, bringing death, bringing life, and then bringing power to change. But it's interesting, UC San Diego did a research, came out in 2016, where they talked about the nuance of words and how it evokes a different response just in the difference. And so one of the tests they did, they did a bunch of tests, but one of the tests was they had a paragraph written about crime in a city. And in that paragraph, they referred to crime as this beast, the beast of crime. And then another one, they referred to crime as a virus. Okay, so test group, all the above. And they found that people who read the word beast of crime had a 72%, uh, 72% of them had a higher value of brutal enforcement of laws and legislation than those who read the virus. Mm-hmm. And that those who were around 
And there were those who read the virus thought process were like, well, let's just solve it. Let's prevent it. Let's cure it. Those who had the beast mentality were like, let's destroy it. We've got to stop it. We have to enforce. And that little word changed the disposition with which somebody hearing it moved forward. And that's why I want to give conversation to the words that we say, the precision with which we speak is important. When we're talking to our kids and we use hyperbole, which means like you always or you never, when we're discussing things and we use metaphors, it said metaphors are extremely powerful in a good and bad way. When we think about the last time you use a metaphor, you know, you're like or you're as, well, you're like this. But the moment you put you're a like something, you don't have the, the power to stop them parsing all the nuances of what it means for them to extrapolate. Well, you're telling me I'm like that, therefore... So we have to be really thoughtful. I mean, this completely liberal university came back and said, well, just the nuance with which you say something has substantially different effect on the hearer and substantially different effect on where they go upon hearing. So we'll look about this. This this is a, a cobbling together of Matthew 15, Matthew 12, and Proverbs 4. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So above all else, with all diligence, guard or cultivate your heart. For for it flow flow springs of life. For, For from it flow springs of life. The majority of what we talk about when it comes to our darkness is what we do, what we take, what we drink, all these processes here in this reality is no the darkness is inside and the issue of us as parents as spouses as people who do get too embittered in political debate that's not a head issue that is a red flag that we've got to have God rework our heart because the fact that those things are coming up those are signs that we have an unmet expectation about the reality of the way things are or a false assumption about how they should be and we try to exert control on it So we're going to look at this, the power of death. How does the power of death get worked out in our speech? Anger becomes rage. I'm not going to get too deep into the studies on this, but there's a lot of interesting studies. One of the studies they found is that when someone is, they did test groups of people who were uh, encountering joy and people who are encountering anger. And the natural human reaction when you encounter anger is to silo into very limited outlets. Like I've only got one or two outlets of opportunity for me to respond. Like my creative outlets all shut down. And really it's kind of like when you squeeze somebody, what comes out. As opposed to with joy, people who are uh, filled with joy, connected with something exciting and fulfilling and and, and hope-filled, the creative opportunities are endless. So what happens with anger is something triggers in us. And we, of nature, siphon down to two responses, one of two responses, either physical or, or, or verbal response. And that's it. And it's crazy how myopic we become. Like, I can't not become embittered and angry and have it vent on you. And that's not like a Christian, non-Christian thing. That's just a, it's just a, a natural sociological thing that we're dealing with. So the challenge is when anger becomes rage... 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. 
Now that is so much easier to say than it is to do. But the fact that it is said means it can be done. So the fact that there's a challenge there, that when that anger comes within you, there is a grace from God by the Holy Spirit to literally take that thought captive and make it subservient to Jesus. The question then comes up, why do we have this anger rise? Well, typically it's unmet expectations. James 4, 1 through 2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. Think of the last time you got angry or you had this bitterness welling up within you. Typically, it's tied around either unmet expectations or false assumptions. Like, I had an assumption that this is the way things should be. Why am I angry when my kid spills chocolate milk on the, ca- milk on the couch when I've told him not to sit there on the couch with food, you know, 20 times? Well, it's because I have this expectation that he should know better by now, right? And that's why I blow up. So the blow up then is, this question is, is it justified in righteousness to discipline my son and say, that's not a good choice? I think so, because we have to train him up in righteousness. But the anger typically that rises in me is because I have a bad expectation, a misspent assumption in my anger is an attempt for me to try to wrangle that unjust situation into a place where I see justice as being done. And that's problematic because in your anger, we can't sin. We can be angry, but we can't sin. So I would say allow the Holy Spirit to stir within your heart. I hate to say red flags, but awareness. And say, there's a root there. And I see the fruit of it the resolution is going to be unworking that root, not trying to squash that fruit because it will continue to come up. And the fruit is you speaking angrily or abusively or detrimentally or be mean, whatever it is. You got to look back at your history and say, it's typically with this kid or this relationship. Because you're probably not just universally a jerk to everyone. So every is, I'm just kidding. Um, And then if it's just one person, that's indicative that there's something at a root level going on with either that person or their history with you. Or that type of person. Or that type of person, right? And your history with that type of person. And that's where you go to this. Mm -hmm. Allow your heart to be opened up before God. Ask that question. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Because when you encounter that person, a different response will come out. Let's move on to the second thing. When it comes to destruction, I I feel like the two biggest ones are anger. The second one I feel like is, for lack of a better term, gossip. And this is just slanderous or licentious or juicy speech. There's a lot of places that the Bible speaks about it, but basically Proverbs 17.9 says, whoever would foster love covers over another's offense. But whoever repeats matters separates close friends and destroys friendships. And I think that some of us, all of us are prone to that at some level. Some of us may be more prone in different ways at different times. But we don't have to have a long conversation about it. But 
I, I definitely default more to the angry. For some reason, I have a pretty heightened, I, I think, maybe I have a huge blind spot, but I have a pretty heightened sense to gossip. And if, if I'm in a midst of a group of people and they're like, oh, by the way, did you see Wade? My, I get my hackles go up because I don't like it. There's a justice meter in me where I'm like, if somebody cannot speak for themselves, I don't want to be part of that conversation. Now, again, there's places of where, hey, can you pray for me and my dad? My dad is X or whatever. I, I think that as believers, we need to be able to engage in things that aren't necessarily gossip, but our prayer request, et cetera. But I would just say, if you find that to be titillating, if you find that to be joy-inducing, it talks about in Proverbs that gossip is like a moist, and a, that's a terrible word, a juicy morsel that goes down into your soul, right? A juicy is what we'll call it, a juicy morsel that goes down. We do is like, hong, 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 like the Jim Gaffigan thing. Uh, is Jennifer Aniston pregnant? Why should I even care? It's not my business, right? We're just like digesting all this stuff about people because it tastes good. That's bad news. That destroys friendships. It breaks relationships. You know, candidly, if the easiest topic of conversation is somebody else, then it's almost certainly indicative of a lack of vulnerability in the conversation that you're having right there. And, and the only thing that's going to bring life to us is vulnerably connecting with somebody else and saying, this is me and where are you? Because in that moment, we have to own our vulnerability if we want wholeness. And if we're not owning vulnerability, the easiest thing to do is to try to pick on somebody else. Evaluate how vulnerable your conversations are in one-off scenarios because I promise you, if you start talking about your issues, it becomes a lot harder to talk about other people and theirs. So we talked about the power of destruction and that you need to take every... <coughs> you can take every thought captive and make it subservient to Jesus. With the power of life, I really believe that meditation on him, who he is. Let's go to Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, anything virtuous, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, think on these things. And it says like washing with the water of the word. That's what the word does to us. It washes us and it washes our heart. And so meditating on these things allows our heart to be transformed from the inside out. And I really believe that literally maybe the difference in what comes out is choosing to say, no, Philippians 4, 8. If there's something that's not good, just, noble, pure, lovely, of good report, that's not going to be something I meditate on. It says that as you meditate, you'll become like a tree planted by rivers of water, which brings forth fruit in its season. Your leaf will not wither. So now when it comes to the power of life, I want to distinguish between being amiable, being inspirational, and being transform, transformational or transformative. Because I feel like, as a pastor said this morning, we're not called to just be jolly people. By our words, we transform the world around us for wholeness, for light, for life. Amiable means somebody who's good-natured, jovial. When people encounter you, they feel like a little brush of encouragement. Oh, they're good. Inspirational is someone who is, wow, I, I really feel inspired to go do something. Transformational means they come face-to-face -face with a grace-filled truth that changes the trajectory of their existence into wholeness in life. And that's what we're called to. When we speak life to others, it's not just, hey, buddy, old pal, working hard or hardly working. It's not this type of, you know, jolly, happy-go-lucky. 
It is a place of where we, by the Holy Spirit, are directed to be God's mouthpiece to speak life to people who don't have access to it except that we bring it. And so that's where the challenge is on us, not just to feel like the calling from God is a goodness and finger guns at people, but realize it's a blessing to go out with joy into this place that doesn't have it and be it. I remember a story, and I told you guys this a long time ago, but I used to work as a a VP of sales at a, a, a marketing firm, and we had like 30 people on phones, and I was kind of helping people do they're doing phone sales and so it helped people close those deals and they could just turn the phone over to me so I had a huge dashboard of all these phone lines I could listen to and they say hey James uh, somebody's on line seven jump on and help us so I would help Tina or Mike or Jack or whatever so I was there one Thursday afternoon and somebody said hey pick up line six John needs help and I hit line six but they accidentally told me the wrong line I think it was providentially and actually on line six was somebody else who was talking to another one of our employees and they were laying me out. I mean, like, that James, I'm not going to say anything here with, you know, kids. But cussing, calling my character, my wife, my mom, everything else. And I'm like, I thought it was, a, I literally thought it was like a candid camera show. I was like, what? I can't, I'm listening to, and these people are excoriating me. And then I realized I had this rush, all the blood rushed from my head. And I thought, these people don't know that I'm listening into this conversation that's happening. It's like, it's literally, what is somebody going to say about you if they knew they didn't know that you were listening? I had that wonderful experience. Um, and the woman, it was a woman and a guy talking, and the woman goes, and to be fair, the woman was more responding. Uh, the guy was, he just didn't like me for one reason, because I was trying to hold him to a higher level of integrity than he was currently operating. So... Um, she goes, oh my gosh, somebody's listening on this phone. Hang up. And so they hung up. And I was just like sitting there. I was like, I, I have no idea what to do. And I saw her like room, started like running around the room, like looking for who might be listening in. And I just hung up. And so I had a choice there. Like I came home. I remember I, I told Adriana, I'm like, I mean, I just, weird. You rarely have experiences like that in life where the, the full mask is down and it's just, and I said, okay, what do I do with this? Because I could fire, I could do all this stuff. And I felt like Holy Spirit say, pull, which is what I did. I pulled into their office the next day. I was like, hey, Cindy, we'll call her. Hey, Cindy, I was taking calls the other day and trying to help somebody close a call. And I accidentally jumped on the phone line where I heard a couple of people talking about how they didn't like how I did things. And you could just see her jaw drop. Every, I mean, she just started. And I said, and I feel like that. God asked me to forgive you. And, and so there was a place of extending that grace in a place that catalyzed a different trajectory of life for her. And I had every single right to go in and not even meanly, but say, hey, that's unprofessional. You can't do that. But God told me, you need to tr- turn the other cheek. And in so doing, there was a moment of grace that transcended probably 99% of what she'd experienced in life. And in this pocket of God showing up and extending grace to her, to a woman who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt her guilt and her conviction, and yet that grace was extended. And it transformed, I don't know forever how it did, but that was a moment of heaven touching earth in her life in a way that is never going to be forgotten by her. 
Now, is that special about me? No, I, I would have preferred it had not happened that way. But we're presented with those opportunities that come up as being catalysts for grace to break through into someone's darkness and have them plant a stake of hope that things can be different because they can be forgiven. Talking about kind versus inoffensive words. I think that when we're talking about kindness, we often think it's happy-go-lucky. Sometimes the kindest word is the most severe word because it's not kind to necessarily tell your kids to not play in traffic. It doesn't seem kind. It actually is kind. It's probably the kindest thing you can do for them, but you're typically pretty loud in the way that you do. You guys with me on this, right? We often equate passivity or gentleness with kindness. And so when it comes to being that catalyst, the, the challenge to us is grace and truth with what we speak. It's not just about, oh, it's okay. Everybody's good. We're all good. But also it's not, hey, I'm just being honest, bro. It is what it is. There is this line of, I need to share this with you because at this moment, if you go that direction, that's a lost cause or a brokenness that you can't come back from. But that being said, I'm sharing this to you in grace and in humility. Do you guys understand the distinction here, right? So when it comes to being salt and light to people, it says if salt loses its flavor, what good is it for? If you're not, have your words seasoned as with salt so that you attract and draw people. You know what salty is? Salty is saying, hey, there's a grain of truth that I need to share. But in kindness, in grace, in an extension of favor, I need to be able to open. So it's not about being passively engaged with the world around you and hoping that everybody feels patty cake and happy. It's when you encounter brokenness, being able to speak wholeness to it in a way that's non-judgmental and humble. And that's where us calling goodness, speaking light into darkness exists. And then lastly... We have the power of death. We have the power of life. And then we have the power to call ourselves into a different state of being. And this is where where the words Adrian was talking about, if you speak but you don't act. Matthew 21, 28, a man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go to work in the vineyard today. And the boy answered, I will not. But later he had a change of heart and he went. The father went to the other son and said the same thing. This boy answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Jesus asked, which of those two did this father's will? The reality is is that we often, Isaiah 29, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. And so this is, again, getting into meddling. We've got a nice narrative that we share here. Oh, man, I'm committed, I'm dedicated, I'm serving. You know what, but... The reality is it's not what we say, but what we do that's going to define our wholeness. And this is where it comes back to. We want to raise peaceful, godly, spirit-filled children, right? But I do nothing to sow into the peaceful, godly, spirit-filled me that is responsible to create an environment that these children can flourish in. It reminds me, I mean, so I remember when I was a kid, this made me really mad at my dad. Since I've been a parent, this has been true of me, okay? So this is not an indictment on my dad. But I remember we'd be having devotionals as a family. We'd have devotionals every night as a family. And we'd be sitting there, and my dad's like singing really loudly, belligerently almost, because like, you know, everybody onward, Christian soldiers, you know, and where I got like five of us singing together. And I'm like sitting here playing with, you know, something. And he's like, James, you pay attention and sing right now. I'm like... 
this is not holy. You're trying for, to get me to be holy or like during prayer. He's like, middle of a prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. And James, you better sit up or go into your room and I'm going to beat you. Lord, thank you again. I'm like, how incongruous is a father praying for peace and then like pulling it, like waxing his belt, getting ready to whop me in the middle of it, right? Anybody else been there? Oh, yeah. So, it's not just what you hope to happen. It's what you are a catalyst for. Are you the catalyst for peace? Are you the example of patience? Are you the representative of godliness to your kids? Because it's not going to be what you say that transforms them, I believe. It's who you are. It's who you are. And if you're sitting there saying, man, those kids need to grow up better. They need to make better decisions. If you look at yourself, the reality is we see our inadequacies. I think the single defining factor of whether or not you're folding yourself back into wholeness and creating an environment of holiness before God is repentance. And I'm sorry, my dad, if he listens to this. That was the one thing my dad wouldn't do. He would never repent. And I think that the catalyst for hope that my children have is not that I never scream or yell or get angry, but that when I do, I humble myself and say, I was wrong. That's not okay. I apologize and I repent. Because that's what our partners, that's what our children, that's what our political spectrum needs. Is grace extended because we realize and own our brokenness. We can't be ones who come to God with our lips and say, oh, you're God, you're in charge, and our hearts are far from Him. We can. It's the story of the majority of religion in the history of man. That's the story of it, but that's not me. It will not be me. If it's you, that's your choice. It's not saying that I'm going to be great or awesome at this, but when I'm not... I come and I proactively ask for repentance. Because Matthew 5, 23, this is where we finish here. It says, if you're coming to sacrifice to God and you suddenly remember that somebody's got a problem with you, not that you got a problem with somebody, but somebody's got a problem with you. It says, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and make it right with them. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So my challenge is, is this. We talked about we can speak destruction. Let's take those thoughts captive and make them submissive. We can speak life. Let's meditate on these things that are good, whole, true, right, just, pure. But when it comes to people who are doers and not just hearers, let what defines us not be what we say, but when people encounter us in our failures, do we repent quickly? And do we seek peace, peace, seek peace and pursue it? Do we turn from evil and do good? Do we let our yes be yes and our no be no? Practicals, look back through the heartburn of relationship that you have and allow that to be an indicator that there's a root that needs to be worked through. Second, don't just allow the good speech of, man, let's try hard and we'll be more godly. The reality that 
it will be defined by your choice to look at yourself and say, it will stop with me. The legacy of, of unwholeness will stop with me, not by me striving, but by me choosing to immerse myself and cultivate that heart in a different way.